going about online and everything. Have you guys heard of this movement called the Alpha Male Movement? Um, it's a movement that it's been around for several years, um, and it's a movement because uh, there's this this feeling that men aren't men anymore. Um, so there's this. I, it kind of sums up in this little meme that gets posted. So um, put this up on the wall. Um, so the idea here is that you have a very good-looking... Anyone know that actor? Okay, what's the name? Okay. Um, but very nice-looking... Oh, well, um, I don't know anyone on the right. Um, but very nice, right? He's got his trench coat. He's got his three-piece suit. Um, he's got his... That's a fedora, right? Um, very nice hair done. You know, very, very good-looking man, right? He's very nice. Okay, and then on the right you have um, a, a man that um, just so the so the idea here is that this alpha male movement has started to try to get men to be men, right? Um, and so it started several years ago. Now the purpose of it is to say, okay, like a like an alpha dog, right? That you need to be the alpha. You need to be strong and courageous and go, yeah, leader of the pack and all this stuff. Um, the problem with it that I've seen is uh, it's not a biblical male. Okay, it's not what a biblical man is supposed to be. Rather, it takes on these characteristics of like a a wolf. You know, wolf's mate with a lot of people, with a lot of other female wolves, right? They, they, they can be domineering. And a lot of those, the bad traits of what, you know, the, another word today is toxic masculinity. You've ever heard that word? Uh, gets thrown around. And the idea that um, we had a while back for the teenagers, we were doing these different little videos, and one of the videos was this young man um, he was talking about how he was raised. And he says, I was always raised to be the alpha male type of person. And uh, part of that, my dad said, you better go out and, and, and score some, some points. And what that meant was, is you better go out and have sex with as many girls as you could. Um, and so, like, this, this idea that you are just there to conquer and to subjugate and to, you know, and... I see a lot of that. Um, there's a guy his name's by the name of Andrew Tate uh, was just uh, kicked off of Twitter um, a couple of weeks ago, and he is one of these alpha male type of people, and does not like Christianity because he says it's too weak. You, you're not supposed to lay down your life for people. You're not supposed to um, love your enemies. That's weak stuff. That's not what alpha men are supposed to do. And so there's a, a difference between being a male. And there, uh, there's a great book called Wild at Heart. And it talks about what a biblical man is supposed to be. And it's not the same as an alpha male. And an alpha male is just supposed to be you are the everything. But in Scripture, there's only one alpha. And that's Jesus himself. You know? And so it's understanding that, no, I am created to be a male and what that means, but I'm not created to be the alpha. Okay? So, but it's this idea, but I love, there's a, a movie, it's called Secondhand Lions. 
Um, a pretty good movie if you've never seen it. Um, there's this one scene, though, that I think captures more of what it means to be a biblical male rather than an alpha male. And the two can kind of be... Um, I wanted to show you the, the video, but Facebook always kicks us off streaming when I do that. So I'm just going to read this, this situation. Basically, it's this. You have this young man, or this young boy, who goes off and he lives with his two uncles for a summer. And uh, Dean, uh, is it Dean, not Dean Cain, he's a, that's Superman. Um, but it's an English actor, is one of them. And then um, Robert Duvall is the other one. And they're just these old, cranky guys. And they're sitting, what? Michael Caine. Michael Caine, that's there. Um, and they're sitting in this, uh, just this uh, soda shop, right? And they're sitting there, and these punks come in, these 50s Arab punks, right? Uh, you know, like uh, the greasers, right? Yeah, they come in, and, and so they're harassing uh, the, this, these three guys. Um, and so you can see Hub is the character's name um, that Robert Duvall plays. And he, he, you can see him getting irritated. And then his brother says, okay, just don't kill them. And he walks, you know, he takes the, you know, he likes. And all of a sudden, Duvall turns, Hub turns and grabs the one that's closest to him by the neck and just shoves him to the ground. And this is what he says. I just, it's just great. He says, I am Hub McCain. McCann. I have fought in two world wars and countless smaller ones on three continents. I have led thousands of men into battle with everything from horses and swords to artillery and tanks. I have seen the headwaters of the Nile and tribes of natives no white man had ever seen before. I have won and lost a dozen fortunes, killed many men, and loved only one woman with a passion a flea like you could never begin to understand. That's who I am. You know, and the idea that men are to be masculine and men are to be warriors is biblical, but we're also to be loving. And I just love that he puts in there, and I've loved only one woman. It's just, it's a great scene, and it teaches the boy a lot of what it means to be a man. And so the idea of just being a, a bull in the china shop is not what it means to be a man, but rather to be... Um, a warrior that stands in front of pain and suffering the, between the, the world and their families and yet can still love, yeah, still compassionate. Um, and, so, and so this alpha idea, though, is what we're going to kind of talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. Um, we're going to be looking at 35 verses. And as we do, um, we're coming to the end. We're in our last two chapters of the Gospel um, well, I'll ask three chapters, technically, um, of the Gospel of Matthew. And as we're going through this, we're headed up to the crucifixion. And if you've been in the church for a while, you're going to hear a lot of the stories that you've heard time and time again. The crucifixion, the story of the crucifixion, the story to Calvary, the story of the resurrection is something that we talk about a lot in the church. We do every Easter, if not more, right? And so this is a lot of that same stuff. So as we're going through, though, we need to be doing what we're doing in our summer series, which is connecting, seeing where all these different things connect to the overarching themes, right? And so let's look at those. We're talking about five themes through the Gospel of Matthew. 
So the first one is that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills prophecy. Okay? He fulfills everything that's needed. He fulfills the covenant. He fulfills uh, prophetic word from all the way from Genesis um, all the way through the end of the Old Testament. So all this is being fulfilled in Jesus. In addition to that, we learn in those first seven chapters that Jesus isn't just any Messiah, that he's not just any king of David, that he is truly the God come down. And so in those first seven chapters are really important to establish who this Jesus is. And so that's what we talked about in the first and last year when we first started through this. In the second section, we saw that, okay, um, so what are you supposed to do okay, with this Jesus? What are you supposed to do? And you're supposed to be his disciple. And you're supposed to take his word and put it into practice. Okay, You're to build your lives on his word and his word alone. So through that second section, Jesus encounters people that want um, him to do things their way. Uh, both the disciples and uh, people like the Pharisees. And you get all these people that want to do it their way, want to interpret God's word their way. And Jesus is saying, no, you do it my way. It's my way that stands, okay? So you have that in section two. So you have who Jesus is, what we are to do as disciples, and then in the third section, this whole idea of, okay, then who can be a disciple, right? And the answer is anyone. Anyone can be a disciple if they put their trust in Jesus, if they follow his word, okay? So that's what it means to be a disciple. Makes sense, right? So if Jesus is God... His word is true. Follow it. How easy is that? Right? Pretty, pretty hard, if we're really honest with ourselves. Section 4, then, talks about, okay, so you're a disciple, you're following. What does Jesus expect of you? Right? What kind of faith is he expecting you? And the faith that disciples are supposed to have is a faith that fully trusts. Okay, fully trust in Jesus. Okay, so that, that one on top. A disciple's faith is learning to trust Jesus fully by doing what he says to do. Okay, so now it's uh, Jesus is God. Okay, his word is true. Okay, I'm supposed to build his life on, or my life on his word. So then I must do it. Right? It's not just I hear it, but I actually have to do it. Okay? And our final section, what's up there right now, is what does that mean? Fully trusting means to live under Jesus' authority. That's when we become satisfied. That, when, that means now we seek after his will. All those things that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, that's what it means to fully trust. It's to live under it. And so if I'm not living under it, am I fully trusting? No, it's the same thing. I, this is the example I always use is a chair, right? Right now, you are fully trusting that chair. If you weren't, you'd be standing or you'd be hovering, right? I don't know if you've ever been on a chair that you don't really fully trust. And you kind of just, you're, you're, you're sitting on it, but you're kind of like just in this weird, you know, and you're like, if I sit down, I, and then you sit and you hear this crack. You know, so we had a, a bed one time. It was given to us by Marika's grandparents. And we're sitting on there, and every time we sat on it, it was a nice bed. But every time we sat on it, we hear this 
you know, and we're like, what's going on? Well, one of the, you know, it was all wood, and one of the rails had this little tiny rail inside of it, right? And that's where the, the mattress actually sat. Well, we didn't realize it, but it wasn't completely there. And so one time, I go to the bathroom. Uh, we were living in this place called Roseville, and it was a two-bedroom, one bath. And I'm in the bathroom, and all of a sudden, I hear this, <laughs> and I walk in, and the, the beds collapse, and Mark is just laying on it like, it happened. <laughs> you know? And what was funny, that, that was my side. <laughs> and she had sat down to put on her shoe, and the whole thing just collapsed. I was happy, because it didn't, didn't happen to me. Um, but fully trusting means you've got to actually do it, Right? So that's what we're talking about right now in this section is, okay, live under Jesus' story. What does that look like, right? And so this week, we're actually going to see what that looks like. We're going to see it in the lives of the disciples, what that looks like. And just a spoiler, it doesn't turn out good, okay? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read through the whole thing, and then we're going to look at how all these little individual moments connect together, Okay? So, Matthew 26, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is, in, is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be, handed over to be crucified. And then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in, in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there will be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a higher price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always, you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, she, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the, the, the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and they, while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. 
While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they sung it, when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. All right, we're going to stop there. So what's interesting about this whole little section is that it's, it's we're, we tend to always divide it into these little moments, right? Okay, there's this moment where the woman brings in her perfume. There's this moment where Jesus starts the Passover. There's this moment where he talks to Peter about disowning him. There's this moment where Jews decides to... to uh, betray Jesus. But the reality is, all of this is one thought. In fact, we talked about this before, that this entire section is just one thought going through the whole thing. And it would be great if we could just read the whole thing. Right? But that's like five or six chapters long. And our attention span is so small. Right? That we have to break it up. And so this section can be broken up in like five or six different moments. But they flow into all of them because they all are connecting back to it. So it starts out, right, in the first few verses about Jesus. And we, we talked about last week. Jesus, again, this is a, a, he said this several times, but again he talks about this idea of he's going, he's going to be crucified. Like that's where he's headed. And so he tells his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, right? And then the very next thing we learn is that the, the priests, right, these, these religious leaders are coming together to the high priest, Caiaphas' house, and they're trying to figure out how can we get him? How can we kill Jesus? But what's interesting is they say, after the feast, right? We're not going to do it until afterwards. And so, but what's happening here? What is, what's... What's God trying to pull together here? And it's just this, this idea that Jesus purposefully is connecting the Passover, right? So the Passover is really important in Jewish history. It's the Exodus. We go back into Exodus and we see that this whole thing is about the ten plagues and that um, God says to through Moses to the Israelites, look, I'm going to be sending the angel of death. And the way that you'll have the angel pass over, right? Um, is that you take a lamb, you kill it, you put the blood, right? There's a lot more to it, but basics. Put the blood on the doorpost, and then the, this will be a sign that I'll pass over you, okay? So, Jesus is now saying, we're gonna, I'm going to go, we're going to have this Passover meal, so this Passover celebration, right? And it's connected to the new lamb, right? The new lamb that's going to be slain Jesus so that God's wrath of sin 
over sin will pass over people. Okay? So that's so Jesus is connecting these things. And what I think is really interesting is the the priests want, don't want anything to do with this around the feast. Because if they take Jesus, there's going to be a riot. This is their thought. And I think that's a good thought because rewind all this, right? We go back to um, a few chapters in Matthew where Jesus is coming in as a triumphal entry. Everyone's expecting at some point Jesus is to take command, that he's going to take over this city, he's going to throw out the um, Romans. All this is going to happen. And so everyone's waiting in anticipation. Maybe they think Jesus will do this after the Passover. Right? Because this is a huge moment in society. This huge moment. Maybe Jesus is waiting. And so the, the priests think, well, if we just wait till the Passover is over and people start, you know, calming down and everything, maybe that's when we can, we'll take them. But it's Jesus who says, no, 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 we're connecting these things. And just in a few hours, we find out that Jesus is taken. He's beaten. He's crucified. During this week when it really shouldn't, right? This moment. So this is all going on on Thursday. And so this shouldn't happen. But God's plan overrides the priest's plan. And that's a huge thing. Because what's the one thing we've been talking about for the several weeks? What's in this section? It's the authority of God is greater, right, than man. Yeah, than anyone's authority. So here's, they have their plan, and Jesus says, no. I'm connecting these two things. So we have that little moment. Then we get into this second part, and it's this part where this, um, this woman comes to the disciples and or comes to Jesus and pours out this really expensive perfume. Now, there's a lot of different how much this was. Some say uh, the year's wages. So this think about a year's worth of money, right? So think about that time when you were working hard and how much you were making, right? So say you were making 50000 Man, that's a, that's a lot of money. That's what's being poured out. Right? How many of you ever said to your kids, shut the door, you're letting the air out? Right? Yeah. And it's, you say that because you're wasting money. And that's actually what the disciples come to, right? They're the ones that say that exact same thing. This money should, could be, have been given to the poor. And so they have that mindset. There's better use for this money. And Jesus rebukes them. He says, no, what she's doing is good. The reason why is because they are, they're missing the point. This whole thing's about his crucifixion, right? About his death. But what's one thing, if, if you've been here through Matthew, what's one thing that the disciples keep saying to Jesus? Yeah, I'll, we'll die with you, but they've rejected the idea that he was going to even die. Like, they've rejected this idea. They're, Jesus is going to be king, not a dead guy. And so, but here's this woman, she comes in and she recognizes what's going to happen. She brings this gift, this really expensive gift, and gives it to Jesus. Right? And he says, it's because this is anointing, an anointing for my death. And so, what the disciples, they're missing the point. 
you know, and in our day and age, the idea of, yeah, they should have given them the money to the, to the poor. I mean, we have that same, I had a discussion with a person years ago, and they said, yeah, the disciples were right, Jesus was wrong. And I said, well, then you missed the point. You missed it just like the disciples do, did. Because the whole point of this is Jesus is going to the cross and this woman gives a great gift recognizing his sacrifice. I mean, how many of us would, you know, when someone is leaving, we might give them a gift, right? Say, hey, remember me, right? Might give them like a, a token, like a maybe a necklace or an earring or something to say, man, I really enjoyed being with you. You know, it was great. Um... And here's this woman giving this great gift to Jesus because she knows where he's going. That he's going to this horrific thing. And so this, this gift is monumental for her to give. But then the very next thing. So we go from Jesus has his plans of going to the cross. The religious leaders, they have their plans that's being overridden. Then you have this woman recognizing this that Jesus is going to the cross. And then the very next thing is what? It's Judas. We're told Judas goes to uh, these religious leaders and he says, how much are you willing to give me? Now the 30 pieces mean a lot. Now one, it's a, um, it's a fulfillment of prophecy from Zechariah. That's, that's one thing. But one of the things that we miss as well, that in Exodus, there is a, a payment for slaves. You know how much that is? 30 pieces of silver. So there's this double thing going on. Remember, when we talked about, at the very beginning, we talked about how Matthew was connecting his gospel to Deuteronomy, to the, to, to the first five books of the Bible, to Genesis, to Exodus. Okay, so he's, he's connecting a lot there. And so here's this moment where we have this 30 pieces of silver. And this really shows how the, the religious leaders view Jesus and how Judas views Jesus. That he's nothing. That everything that Jesus has done up to this point is just nothing. And one of the reasons that um, another gospel gives for Judas doing this is because of that moment with the, the poor, with the money. Now, John says it's because he desired money. And so he, and he was the the treasurer of the group, and so he was probably skiffed in money off the side. But this is a moment when this woman gives her gift that Judas says no more. He's out. And so he goes and he gets whatever he can from these people, not realizing it, he's fulfilling Scripture, fulfilling the prophetic word, but just getting whatever he can because he views Jesus as nothing. And so he gets this money, and it really reveals who people see Jesus as, that he is nothing. And, and um, what's interesting is I've heard that from modern society, that, you know, if Jesus, and we see this in the crucifixion story, if Jesus was really God, why didn't he just step up and just stop it, right? We see that in the, the story of Jesus crucified. I've heard that from people. If Jesus was really God, why did he not stop it? Because that wasn't the plan. Yeah, that wasn't the plan. 
It wasn't the plan. We needed it, right? We needed it. And so we have this moment. So we go from that, right? So now you have, uh, we got to connect all this, right? It's Jesus has his plans that overrides the priest. A woman recognizes what Jesus is doing. The disciples don't. One of them says, no more. I'm going to move on. Get what I can, right? Jump ship. And then we get into this next part, all right? This idea of the Last Supper. And what's interesting, I really, through these last several months of praying through this, this was really interesting because I was reading it and reading it and reading it. And then just one day, this thing started, I don't know if someone was talking um, or things just started clicking in my mind. So maybe this is not even what's supposed to be there, and this is just something that... But it was just really interesting. As Jesus commands his disciples, this is what you're going to do. Right? They go and do it. Then you have this whole thing about a betrayal in the midst of this. Someone's going to betray me. But at the very end of it, when they go off to the Mountain of Olives, it's all of you are going to fall away. But after I'm raised, go to Galilee. It's really interesting because I find a parallel between the whole story of redemption and this micro moment. Because what is the story of redemption? God created us to be under His authority, right? This is the whole Genesis tree thing, right? You have the choice of eating from this tree, or you have the choice from eating everything else. Don't eat that tree. That's authority. And Adam and Eve rejected God's authority. They ate from the tree. Just like, here we have Jesus. Here's my authority. Then we have the rejection, though. Judas. And he says, not, not me, Jesus, right? I, would, I wouldn't do that. Yet we already know he's already made the, made the pact. So he's just saying this so he doesn't lose face, Right? So there's that betrayal, and we do the same thing with God. When we engage in sin, we say no to God's authority. It's the same thing. Jesus is rejecting God's authority, or Jesus' authority. We reject God's authority all the time. And so you have this. And then, but at the end, God saves us still. Yeah, you fall away. But when I'm raised, go to Galilee. And I, I find that so powerful because in our own lives, no matter what we do, God still has died for us, right? So we could be the sinner who's completely lost and there is no hope for them. But there is. Because Jesus died for them. And He's waiting in Galilee for them. It doesn't matter if they've Years and years and years said, no, I don't want any part of this. I don't want any part of this. I don't want Jesus. I don't want His authority. I don't want, I don't need a Savior. That's the disciples. Time and time again, they have rejected Jesus. We always, you know, so often, you know, we have doubting Thomas, right? 
and he gets a bad rap, in my opinion. And we go after Judas, because he's the one that betrayed Jesus. But if we look through all of Matthew, through all the Gospels, time and time again, the disciples constantly rejected Jesus. Constantly said, no, you can't do this. No, that's not what's going to happen. Constantly. And what's, what's interesting is you have the woman who comes with her gift. The disciples reject it, and it's almost like they seal their own fate. It's almost like they had a, an opportunity to say, no, we will go all the way with you, Jesus. We will die for you, even though they say it. But they reject it because they don't recognize what Jesus is actually doing. He's going to the cross for them. And so this whole, this whole thing, he talks about, this is where we get communion, right? This is the body that was broken for us, the blood that was spilled for us. And it's all about this new covenant that God's making with humanity. It says, okay, you know, there's several covenants throughout the Old Testament. You have the creation covenant, you have the, the Noah covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the, the one that we always focus on, which is the um, Mosaic covenant. But there are all these covenants and here's a new covenant. And it's done through the, the body and blood of Christ on the cross. And so, and this is the one that fixes all the other covenants. But God saves us even still. And so you have this moment where now this is what it's all about. And we come to this last part, right? And the, the disciples, even if everyone falls away, Jesus Peter says... I won't. I'll die with you. And then it says at the very end, all the disciples said the exact same thing. And we'll see very quickly, spoiler, they all do. They all run. You know, there's one there that, you know, he, he just takes off running. You know, Peter tries, picks up the sword, cuts the guy's ear. But then he leaves. They all fall away. They all do it. Yet, meet me in Galilee. Have you ever had someone betray you? What's the one thing in your mind? If I see you, yep. yeah, if I ever see you again, I be in jail. Right? Yeah. We do it because the hurt, the pain that is inflicted upon us, when our best friend turns their back on us and it feels like they're stabbing us in the back, it hurts. And our natural sinful reaction is, I'll get you back. And yet Jesus says, I know that all of you guys, you guys are saying that you're going to be there. I know you're not. But you know what? Meet me in Galilee. That's huge because the recognition that you guys, we had a great time. You guys have been with me for years. But even that doesn't matter. You're all going to fall away. You saw the miracles. How many miracles did they see? Just in, I mean, just in Matthew, we have, here's just some. The raising of a, a little girl from the dead. Yeah, giving uh, people their sight back. Uh, the deaf could hear. The lame were walking. Um, yeah, yeah, 
of the leprosy. Um, you had um, the what we talked about the seven thousand fed, right? The five thousand. Oh, yeah, that's nine thousand. Five and four, right? And not including the men and women. So you have all these miracles. These people, these disciples have seen, and I'm right there, Jesus. No, you're not. But meet me in Galilee. I just love that. Even when all of this, well, he's inviting them back. It's not, and that's what's interesting is they don't come back. Jesus calls them back. And that's a huge difference. You ever had someone just slink back? They eat crow, right? That's nice. You got to admit, right? When someone does something wrong and then they come back and they say, well, you know, I was actually wrong in this situation. And it's like, yeah, I feel pretty good about myself because you are wrong. And yet, that's not what the disciples do. Jesus calls them. You come here. I've forgiven you. I love uh, at the um, when uh, John talks about this where Jesus is calling Peter back to him and, and Peter's trying to focus on the other disciples and he's like, no, 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 right here, Peter, right here. You feed my sheep. And just like the three times he rejects uh, Jesus, three times Jesus restores him. And it's Jesus who's calling him back. It's Jesus that called them out of the boat in the first place and Jesus calls them again. It's just great because that means that Jesus cares for me even when I mess up. No matter how far I am from Jesus, Jesus still cares very deeply. Come to me. Right? So you have these, and through it, as I, as I was reading this, I saw that there, there's a trap here that the disciples fall into, and I fall into so often. Jesus, I can do this. I got this, Jesus. I'm going to be strong enough, Jesus. I can, you know, the disciples, they have this idea that, no, we're going to do this. We're, no matter if anyone falls away, I'm not going to fall away. I'm going to do this. And yet, what happens? They fall away. So apparently, they were wrong. Right? They weren't strong enough. They weren't brave enough. They weren't dedicated enough. But it's an easy trap to fall into that says, I'm strong enough. I'm good. I always, um, I always bring, have this thought in my head. It's um, from SNL, uh, Saturday Night Live, where uh, it's from the 90s, and it's that guy, I wish I could remember the guy's name. And he um, turns to the mirror and he goes, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone people like me. And that's always what I think about when I say I'm strong enough. And the reality is, I'm not. I'm not strong enough to face this world. That's the whole alpha thing is I'm strong enough to do this. I'm, I'm able to overcome, and I'm able to do all these things. And um, you look back in history, I start looking at all these people that were strong enough, right? That we put forth, oh, they, were the, they were the strong ones. Man, Abraham Lincoln, that's a strong guy. I mean, he faced down, he was a president, faced down these party, uh, the Democrat Party at the time, and he faced them down, and he's saying, no, we need to set these people free and we're going to go and we're going to have a war for it and we look at him and we go that's a strong person but it's because of his faith because he trusts in Christ we look at the founders strong people right I mean these people uh, was it the of um, 
Now, of all those that signed the declaration, almost all of them had something bad. They lost fortunes, they lost lives, they lost family. They, I mean, just lost, lost, lost. But their faith strengthened them. George Washington. Here's a guy that is a general, a hero, right? The only person, if you read history, the only person that could keep America together at, a, at, when, at its worst point, right? When it was about, it could have easily devolved into nothing. And here's this guy that brought it all together, one man. And then you start reading what he says, and man, that guy is a, a, a man of God. So often we fail because we think, I got this. And that's what the disciples were. I got this. I'm strong enough. I can do this. But what was the woman? Jesus, you're going to the cross. I've, here's everything I have, right? A year's worth of my livelihood as a gift. It's, it's a huge thing. And so the trap is I can do it. I'm strong enough. But what we need is to recognize I'm only strong when I have Jesus. That's something the disciples missed. And this is a huge thing because so in John, in John chapter 15, 5, you get this, these words from Jesus. And Jesus says, you might have heard these before. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. That's not what it says, right? What's that word? Nothing. Nothing. I can do nothing without God. I can do maybe, maybe what the world says, oh man, that's, that's cool, that's good. And then what comes out of it? Nothing. I can do nothing without Jesus. And when we recognize that, then it's not about me. It's about Jesus, right? Jesus went to the cross. I didn't. Jesus created the world. I didn't. Jesus saves. I don't. Jesus is the head of the church, not the pastor. Jesus is the Alpha. I'm not. Because apart from him, I can do nothing. But Paul picks this up, and when he writes in Philippians chapter 4, he writes this. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. What's interesting about Philippians, you know what some people refer to Philippians as? The joyous book of the Bible. You know when Philippians was written? In jail. When, when Paul's at his worst. Yeah. And yet he says, I can do all this through Christ. I can face all this through Christ. Well, it wasn't just that. It's because he's, he recognized, I can't do it without Jesus. And the trap of the world says, no, you be the alpha. 
And the Bible says, no, let the Alpha be the Alpha. Let Jesus be the one who, under whose authority you are. And so he gets to decide what you do. He gets to decide where you go. He gets to decide what job you are or what your plans are. And we say, your way. It goes all the way back to Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, all this, what's happening now is just the end result of what Jesus was talking about. The disciples either did it or they didn't. And yet, even when they didn't, they were called back. How wonderful is that? How great is that? And so, this is it. We must be careful of that trap, right? We've got to be careful of that trap. And we've got to remember that only when we are under Jesus' authority, that's when we're strong. That's when we're strong. And so, my challenge for you this week is to go before God and... And just say, okay, is there any, where am I, in my relationship with you, I'm trying to be the Alpha? Where am I trying to take control that you say is your control? Go before God. Because i got to tell you, there's, there's things in my life right now, I can go, okay, that's it. One of the things, I'll give you an example of yesterday. Okay? Um, I... When I get stressed, I don't want people to help me. Because I know as soon as I ask someone to help me, they're not going to do it right. Yeah. So I asked some people to help me. I'm not going to give their names. And it was horrible. I got really upset. And I told, probably, um, and I told them, get out. You know, because I wanted this control. And I was just like, I just do it. And then my wife took me out to, to the food, and she called me down. We got back here, and then we got it fixed. But I wanted the control. And to tell you the truth, when it happened, I don't think it w- worked out. Because I couldn't be in both places. I needed to be to fix it. But I was trying to. And it's one of those things I got it. okay, Jesus... Take my anger. Take my desire for everything to be perfect. And fix it. It's yours. And it's hard because I don't want to. I'm better at doing certain things than other people. And when they do it wrong, that's that's one of those seeds in my life that says, see, you can't trust them. Yeah. And so seek the Holy Spirit this week to bring those areas under Jesus' control. Because we're in this together. We're all on this path. We're all, Jesus, you need more authority in my life. So take it. And so, but how, how different would we be? There's so many things in our society right now that says, you better take control of this or else everything's going to fall apart. If you don't take control, everything's going to fall apart. And the reality is, nothing but Jesus' plans work out. That was the whole point of the very first thing. Jesus had a plan that his crucifixion would correspond with Passover. And the religious leaders said, no, 
We don't want that because riot. And God says, too bad. God's plans always overrule our plans. So it would be easier just to say, okay, God, do it. <laughs> Rather than me fight it. All right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for allowing us through the shed blood of your Son to come before you and even to speak with you. Lord, most of us in here are believers. We, we know and we trust in your Word. We know and we trust in your Son. Jesus, we trust and we thank you for your saving work on our behalf that we couldn't do it on our own. Father, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would know you, that they would see the great love for you, that even in our mess-ups you call us. You call us to Galilee. You call us to yourself. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives, that we would become people that are so recognized by being under your authority that when the term Christian is given to us, that it is truly that we are Christ-like. Not because of anything we have done, but because you have moved so mightily in us to show that to people around us. Let us be truly Christ-like. And so, Lord, we just ask that this be done in your name, for your glory, because it's your kingdom and not ours, and your will, not ours. So we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.